welcome to a very special live episode of Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Now, Real Conversations is sponsored by Boys Town. Boys Town has been saving children, healing families for over 100 years. Also sponsored by Lane Frost Brand, made for the champion in you. And remember, you can use Jacob 15 to save on anything and everything Lane Frost Brand, including this hat that I'm wearing today. For those of you who are catching the podcast live streamed on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, because it is a live episode, please feel free to leave some comments or questions during this broadcast. Now, my guest this week is not only an actress and singer, but she's now a filmmaker. I worked with her in Pine, in Pine Valley on the iconic All My Children, and television fans also know her from nighttime shows like Madam Secretary, and still one of my favorites, the Hulu limited series 112263. Broadway audiences know her as Tony Award-winning actress, who has starred in shows like groundbreaking original production of Carolina Change, and she's played on stages around the country, plus a long, long list of television and movie roles. Now her debut featured film, Red Pill, has been an award-winning selection at international film festivals. She can also be heard on her podcast, You Can't Say That. I am honored to have join me this week, the talented Tanya Pinkins. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Hey, Jacob. Thank hey. you so much for having me. Oh, so nice to see you. It's been a little while. Yes, yeah, a long time. <laughs> so, you know, I normally go through everybody's accolades while I, uh, I introduce people, but you have so many awards. It would be longer than this podcast. <laughs> I've been very fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Well, congratulations. You know, I, I was late seeing 11 even though it came out in 2016, but your performance in that was absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it was great because I, I knew the book. I love the writing and that uh, Bridget Carpenter decided that she didn't want to just have black people in that story, shining shoes and, you know, went to Stephen King and asked if he could take that role, which wasn't written black and and make it black and then you know write scenes that would reflect what that would have meant if that character had been black so it was really a great opportunity it, it and it's such a wonderful story i mean i just i was at the edge of my seat the entire time and that doesn't happen very often yeah well that's stephen king he can write yeah he can. <laughs> well let's jump right in with the recent confirmation of supreme court justice katanji brown jackson are you optimistic that times are changing for the better? Um, no. I mean, I think that everything is always evolving towards the better. So in the long run, things are going to get better. Whether that will happen in my lifetime, I don't know. I think we have to go through some upheaval. We have a lot of stuff to um, dismantle, but gosh, so excited about Katanji Brown Jackson. Like yeah. thrilled, but you know, she still makes it three of six and can't really change anything. She'll get to write a lot of dissents. Right. <laughs> I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, though. I definitely was very happy right to see that happen. We got a lot more steps to go. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, you know, it's it's still a very challenging time for all of us, you know, with the, the war that's going on, inflation, the lingering pandemic. How do you, Tanya, stay positive with all the negative things that are going on in the world? Well, I think that I'm a person who, you know, sort of relishes the shadow of life. I feel like right now in my life, the discipline I'm working with is that 
whatever made all of this is both good and what we call bad that for god the goddess they're they're just as energy and it is so i make a habit of trying to hold the space for all of what's possible so really working in dualities right now and trusting that whatever i'm experiencing it is there for a higher good that i'm not able to see that's really i try to bless everything that comes in my life even if it would be something you might call bad i'm like well it's for my good <laughs> yeah would you say that's your mantra uh it has been uh, during the pandemic and and i've had a good time during the pandemic and it and it did start with with studying with a woman named carolyn elliott um who you know also believes that everything that is god made it and so definitely doing a lot of meditations on things that you wouldn't think of as good but she would ask you to find pleasurable sensation in in what we might call bad things and and i found it very empowering to do that so right now my my sort of thing is you know every day should be um you should be ready to die any day like it's a good day to die because i did everything i needed to do i said everything i needed to say to live every day and be really complete to be really complete. That's a beautiful way of looking at things. I need to do more of that. Is uh, is there a, I mean, other than that, do you, do you meditate? Do, do you, is there anything that to keep, you know help keep your sanity? Because I know I'm I'm constantly trying to find ways myself to just get through sometimes the, the craziness of life. You know, I don't meditate. I certainly try sometimes. I walk a lot. I mean, I think walking is a meditation for me. I ride, ride bikes. Um, I try to meditate. I usually try to do it in the morning and I don't think that's a good time for me. I think I'm going to start moving my meditation to the, to the evening because I read that when the sun is up energetically, it's just activating the body. So I think that when I try meditating again, I'm going to try nighttime and see if my mind's a little slower because I'm a person who wakes when the, with the sun, no matter when I went to bed, I'm just up with the sun and I'm like, yeah, it gets me activated. So I'm going to try that. And I also was just reading this thing about giving up identification with the body and instead imagining that you is divine and you is the breath so that the breath comes into the body and then it leaves the body in the same way that it will when you finally transition. And so I've been, you know, thinking about my breath in that way, like, oh, now I'm inhabiting the body. Oh, now I'm retiring from the body and, and just really moving in that and seeing what that does for me. Yeah. Breathing is so therapeutic and to look at an analogy that way, breathing it in and breathing it out, that's uh, that's powerful stuff. All right. It's been heard as the slap around the world. Now, as a strong, independent woman and a vocal proponent for women, how did you react to the slap with Will Smith's reasoning that it was in defense of his loved one? I have probably 10 variations of meanings about it because there's so many complicated things. I think one, when we see couples, um, what they are in the, in the world and what they are at home, I think, you know, once I said polarities, polarities. So 
um, I, I thought, well, maybe he gets to be sunshine and light in public and she gets to be the sort of um, shadow in public, but maybe at home it's exactly reversed. So maybe what we saw that night was his shadow coming out. That was one version. Um, another version for me was just feeling like I think that laughter is how we survive everything. I just had oral surgery and um, I birthed four kids at home and, you know, no, no medicine, but everything that I've had to have done in my mouth, I just, I can't, it's bad. So I go into this periodontist and I say to him, I don't mean to offend you, um, but I, I, I knew he was Jewish. I said, but when I had my first implant done, I thought this is must be what it was like to be tortured in Auschwitz. Mm. And he said, oh, no offense. My father was in Auschwitz and he used to tell my mother, honey, this chicken liver killed more Jews than Auschwitz. <laughs> and I was like, if you can have a sense of humor about Auschwitz, you're the you're the guy for me. And like, I, I think that, you know, Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning. I don't want humor to be lost. I don't want comedians to have to fear being assaulted for making fun. Um, I don't know if you're aware that I did this rap roast video of myself that's on YouTube. And I took all the negative, nasty, hateful things that had ever been said um, about me online. And I am this writer, Isaac Klein took it and wrote it into a rap roast. So I'm all for making fun of everything. I do have alopecia. I didn't know I had alopecia till it comes out. I'm like, I mean, make fun of it. If you can't make fun of it, you you're, you're heavy, you're burdened. Like to me, the laughter is the release. So, um, defending a woman, um, not for that. I'm not for violence. I mean, there's a time for violence. I'm not saying that violence, there isn't appropriate times for violence, mm -hmm. but I don't know that that was the one, but then at the same time, I also looked and I thought, here's someone who's running, you know, winning those awards costs a lot of money. It's exhausting. He was making another movie. He's running the campaign, you know, glad handing breakfast, lunches, dinners. You know, you, you don't win an Oscar because you're talented or nice. You win an Oscar because you campaign and you spend a lot of money and you talk to a lot of people. And I saw someone who was exhausted, <laughs> yeah. you know, and just just lost it. And we are all better than the worst thing we've ever done. Sure. And, and that's what I saw. I saw um, someone who was struggling whatever that reason was, he was struggling. He was battling something inside and he reacted and not in the, the strong, the best way. Um, what do you feel about the Academy and resigning? He, he resigning from the Academy. Do you think that was the right move? I never want to judge how anybody does anything because I, I truly feel like everyone's instinct is always right for them. Even if the outcome of that decision may be what someone thinks is negative, there's a, soulful reason why a person does what they do. That's my belief. Um, I think for me, from an external point of view, it felt still reactive. And I wished for him to just take a break. You know, it felt like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to resign from you before you can kick me out. And I was like, well, I mean, like for that to have like real legs, you needed to hand the Oscar back. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like it would have meant I would, I would have been like impressed if you were like, you know what? 
anything that makes me this terrible, I don't need to have. Take this Oscar back and I resign. Right, right. Wow. Um, You have such strong work ethics, hence why you, you just have such a successful career. Middle America, they're still struggling to make ends meet. Middle class working families truly are the backbone of this country. How important is it to preserve strong work ethics in today's world? It's everything. And labor has been, you know, systematically weakened and destroyed across this country. I know everybody's all excited. Amazon unionized. And I think one of the things people don't know because they don't want to know is how much MBS and the Saudi Arabian bots have campaigned against Jeff Bezos because he ended a financial deal with them after they murdered Khashoggi, who was a journalist for the Washington Post, which Bezos owns. I say, great, I'm all for labor. I'm all for unions. But Walmart is the third richest company in the world. They employ more people than any corporation in America, and they don't give benefits, and they don't give people full-time jobs, and everybody who works for Walmart is working 20 hours and still has to get welfare and food stamps, and yet they spend so much money on lobby and publicity that no one's ever tried to unionize their work. If they have, it's been kept so silently, like, that's who we need to be unionizing. And the reason they, they were unsuccessful unionizing Amazon in Alabama is because minimum wage in most of the states where Walmart is or in Alabama is $7 an hour. Amazon pays $15 an hour everywhere they go, yeah. even in those $7 states. So I'm not saying they don't have bad practices because employers tend to exploit their labor. But we've got some other people who need to be uh, called to account as well. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. What about this this new generation that's coming out? I'm not targeting any specific, but I mean, you know, there has seemed to be a, a bit of a lackluster with young people these days trying to find alternative ways to make money versus, you know, going out there and, and maybe getting a job at Amazon, maybe doing something that's, you know, you have to get your nails dirty. Well, I think that there was a time where I was feeling a little hard on this current generation. And then, I don't know, in the last year or so, I've I felt this great empathy realizing that, one, they correctly have looked at what their parents and grandparents did and said, it isn't working. This world you built isn't working. And so... To me, they smartly and correctly don't want to buy into this being a wage slave until you die. Right. Um, and I think sometimes you have to sit in the discomfort of something not working until a vision for something better comes along. We don't have that vision. I think one of the wonderful things that happened in the pandemic, I mean, the market did great. You know, clearly when the world is hurting, people make a lot of money at the top. But I think they expect it to have a huge exploitable labor market at the end of it. And they did not. And mm -hmm. that is fantastic because it's required everyone to pay everyone more money if they want to get employees. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. For labor to have power again. And 
why be wage slave? Why be a wage slave? Um, David Graeber has a book called The Dawn of Everything, and he wrote it with another David whose name begins with a W, and I don't remember his name. But one of the things that um, if you go on YouTube and look at his um, videos, he talks about there was a time when the employer owed a debt to their worker because I've given you my time. You're indebted to me. And countries used to have this time where they would do these jubilees and they would end credit. Um, I think we have to come back to that. As much wealth as there supposedly is in the world, we should not have homeless people. You know, why should people who we have called criminals and who have committed heinous acts against us still get two you know, three meals a day, medical care, a roof over their head and and some sort of safety from being on the streets. And yet people who've just fallen on hard times are on the streets, shoved around or stuck in shelters that are more dangerous sometimes than jail. That's not civilized. Yeah. What's the solution? <laughs> I have no idea what the solution is, but I know the beginning of the solution is we have to vision a world that works for everyone. And I know in the great Iroquois Confederacy, which is the oldest democracy that is in existence, America's a republic, but they did consult with people from the great Iroquois Confederacy. The indigenous people believe that if you can't get everyone to agree, then it's not time to make a decision. And that sometimes what you're looking at as a problem is not something that needs a solution, but it's a truth to be uh, reconciled with. And so I think one of the truths we have to reconcile is that um, every human being deserves dignity, which is an opportunity to feel like they are doing something meaningful with their life that sustains them and their family and a roof over their head and food. And how we do that is really about the think tanks. Like there's all these think tanks that are coming up with things. Think about how do we do that and how do we end hierarchical ideas of life where we think that someone's more superior so they get more. When I get a massage or a manicure, pedicure, I am blessing these people because I'm like, you are the saint in my life that this is what you've chosen to do. And I so appreciate it. I don't feel like I'm better than you. I'm grateful to to them for doing this job that brings something to me that I value. And I feel if we could all just value everyone as having the divine spark of everything is flowing through every single one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Speaking of massages and how do you feel about, I mean, obviously you feel great about self-love. I think it's so important in life. Um, and it's so healing that is that one of your, your remedies for self-love is, is getting the massage. Oh my God. I love a massage. Yeah. One, there was one time in my life where I had gotten so stressed. I was just like, I, I couldn't function. And I heard from someone that Bali was a place that you could No, Well, first I said, I need like five hours a day of massage for six weeks. And then somewhere I was someone, they said, you know, in Bali, you can get a, an hour massage for like eight to $10. I was like, really? I'm going to Bali for six weeks and I'm having five hours of massage a day. <laughs> and I did. And it was just life altering. So yes, massage, that is the only um, 
pain medication I had for four of my births. I had a massage therapist with me. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love massages too. Now, I want to remind everybody uh, who is tuned in, you feel free to ask questions. We'll try to throw some in there. Uh, so uh, if you're a fan of Tanya and you have a dying question, please feel free to ask. And of course, you have so many fans from 20 years of daytime. You also have a huge following of fans who know you from the theater. The Broadway lost iconic composer Stephen Sondheim last year. You made your Broadway de- debut in a Stephen Sondheim musical. What was that experience like to work with a bona fide genius like him? Oh, my gosh. It was so many things. You know, I am a, a clairvoyant. And so um, people were like, oh, my God, you're going to be in the show and it's going to be a hit and it's going to be a da 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 da. And I was like, maybe, maybe like my spirit was just like my spirit was like very tempered. And as you know, it was their first flop and they didn't work together for a lot of years. And um, when they were making the documentary Best Worst Thing, Uh, Lonnie Price brought me a letter that I wrote to Hal Prince at 19. Mm. Wow. To meet yourself at 19, me giving Hal Prince a pep talk about how the show was ahead of its time. And (laughs) it was just really wild. And that was the same year when it um, had this resurgence in London and was this big hit. Like we weren't ready for that kind of um, anti-hero in 1981, the way we do anti-heroes right now. And Franklin Shepard is definitely an anti-hero. Yeah. The necessity and evils of money is one of the themes in your groundbreaking musical, Caroline or Change. As Caroline... What did you learn about the trap of making money too important in life? I don't know that that's really what Caroline is about. I think what Caroline is about is about um, people who are forced into um, a box that's too small for them. And I think that that also has been my personal experience as an artist. Caroline was one of the few times in my career that I had a container that I had to fill and Jelly's Last Jam was one of those times. And once I filled the Caroline containers, like, Oh yeah, I can't go and put myself back in the, in the glasses anymore. <laughs> I can't put myself in a bowl. I need, I need bigger containers. Um, I think that's what it was about. And, you know, I know they had a revival of it this year. I didn't see it, but what I could say without ever seeing it is uh, Haile Garima, who's a wonderful filmmaker, his film, A Sankofa, is on uh, Amazon right now. And he says, I would never hire a foreign black when a reminder black is needed. And people don't know because we aren't educated very well in America, but British um, enslaved people were freed 87 years before American blacks. And then British did not have uh, Jim Crow and have to go to a civil rights movement and have voting rights taken back. So they don't have the experience of what it is to be a black American. So you can Sharon Clark is an amazing, amazing actress, amazing singer. But when you put her in the role, it is an opportunity to look away from the legacy of how enslavement made very powerful people have to be in roles that were much too small for what they 
we're capable of, you don't have to look at that. You can just enjoy a beautiful, happy song, you know, a lot of wonderful singing. And, and it doesn't have the indictment of American history that was very important to George C. Wolfe when we were putting the production on the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a question and I think it's going to segue right into red pill, but I'm, you may have something else in that's in the back burner. What's Tanya's next project? Any chance of daytime? She says, I haven't been up for anything in daytime in years. I'm certainly not opposed to it. I love daytime. Um, I'm in town right now uh, doing an episode of Run the World, which uh, is a star show, I think. Uh, I play uh, Whitney, the lead lead actress's mother, so I'm in town for that. Um, doing a lot of painting. Just had a screening of Red Pill in the metaverse, in the Microsoft metaverse, which is called Altspace VR. So about to open a shop in Altspace. Um, definitely a lot more painting. Red Pill has a game. Um, we're about to issue 2.0 of the game because the response from people who played the game, they wanted another option of how it could go. So we're adding another option for people when they play the Red Pill game. And really a lot more writing. I wrote Red Pill Unmasked, which is the memoir where I talk about the entire process of making a movie on my own. And everything I do, as you can tell, always has some spiritual capacity to it. And I'm really blunt and really... Um, really uh blatant you know sort of blatantly tell my truth of my experience i'm not saying it's the truth i'm sure someone else could say well i was there and this is my truth <laughs> but i'm like well at least we're gonna hear mine because um i love that like tyson yunkaporta who wrote a book called sand talk which is about the first nation uh, aboriginal people of uh, australia says that histories in relationship. So, you know, when I write, I try to tell my relationship to the situation and I welcome to hear someone else's relationship because I don't think we know everything until we know everybody's relationship. We're like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. Well, your film Red Pill is winning awards and getting a lot of critical acclaim. Now, tell our viewers where you can you can see it and how it all came about. Well, you can find Red Pill on Amazon, Fandango, Voodoo, Xfinity, DirecTV, Comcast, almost almost everywhere. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you can find it on many of the streaming platforms. And um, it came about because, as I said, I'm clairvoyant. And oftentimes I will sense something. I don't say I know anything, but I, I sense a strong probability. And before the 2016 election, my spidey sense said how that was going to go. And here in New York City, I was treated like uh, like I had two heads, like I was treated with contempt that I could ever even think that that is how the election would go. And it felt really bad. I mean, the energy coming at me was very hateful. And it was and I was like, I got scared. I was like. Are people crazy? Like, do they not see that that's how it's going? And so when um, 2020 was coming around, I got another sort of spidey sense. And I was like, I don't want to. I, I mean, I, I gained like 10 pounds during 2016 because I was so nervous that everyone around me in New York was so delusional. And so before 2020, I was like, well, this is what I think is going to happen. Why don't I just make it into a piece of art? And people will say, oh, that's so ridiculous. That's so far-fetched. And I was like, yep, 
And now people go, did you write that after the 2020 election? Did you write that after January 6th? I'm like, no, I, I wrote it in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the challenges of making a, a project, film project like this? I mean, the biggest challenge was no money, no time, no support. <laughs> um, but once again, that's a bowl where you go, well, if you want to do it, you know, how am I going to fill the bowl up? Uh, the professionals I went to, to, to do, you know, to say, this is how much money I have and put on my credit cards. And this is how much time I have. Uh, two separate professionals looked at the script and said, you can't do it. It's not possible. And I was like, well, I said, I want to make a film. And if I can't make a feature, I'm going to make something and we'll see what it is when it's done. And it, there was enough footage there to make a feature film, but I was like, I'm making something. Yeah. Uh, and that meant I did, you know, you, when you see those crawls from movies at the end and there's like a thousand people there, uh, I did love 500 of the jobs because I couldn't afford to hire the people, which meant I made a lot of mistakes. I did things two and three times. Things cost more money because I didn't know what I was doing, but it was thrilling. It was like every failure was like, get back up. Okay, keep going. Uh, it just gave me that, that, that keep going, keep going, you know? And I failed over and over and over again, but it still got finished and it got distributed. Like, you know, thousands of films are made and they don't get distributed. And so, wow. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it, it, to get a film made is, it, it's nearly impossible just to begin with, just to get a film made. I, I went ahead and I produced a film, a full length feature this last summer. And congratulations. It was such, it was, thank you. But it was, it was a hard road. We wore a lot of hats. We didn't have a lot of money, but we were all coming out of the pandemic going like, well, while the pandemic was still going on pretty much and going like, you know, we got to make something. We're going crazy here. We're stir crazy. So we got together and we had a bunch of people that really, committed and dug their heels in and we've made a project yes and where what's now where's it now uh we just got screened to sedona film festival congratulations and we are uh in talks to go to Cannes film festival well, fingers crossed yeah thank you but i'd love to share your trailer okay. i have that up here for you guys that haven't seen the trailer yet um here it is red bill it's a group and then destroys them from the inside did you hear about the creature woman that attacked the father and son hunting down here? Good. I hope she killed them. What is that? Like Sanskrit or that Arabic? It looks like Sanskrit. Save the Middle East. Yeah, it's not even the Middle West. Who would keep something like that? intense <laughs> <laughs> i love it oh, 
Yes, yes. Well, tell our listeners too about your podcast. So my podcast is called You Can't Say That. And um, it's like conversations with people that I think are interesting because I just find everyone interesting that if you actually just sit with anyone and listen to them, they have a fascinating story. And I often find that um, people tell me things that they've never told anybody. So I just have invited interesting people to come and have conversations with me. And the conversation can go any which way. I never know how it's going to go. I don't plan it. I don't have questions. Um, and I think I've done 141 episodes on wow. Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs> nice. And it's, I would imagine, anywhere and everywhere you can stream a podcast. Yes. Yes. So make sure you check that out. Um, got a couple more questions. Uh, and I ask everybody this question. If you could take a ride in the Jacob Young time machine, everybody gets to take a ride in the time machine. What would you say to 10-year-old Tanya? 10-year-old oh, Tanya. Um, to 10-year-old Tanya, I don't know that she could hear me, you know? Sometimes you need some experience. I would say... Mm. Don't get married. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to work out for you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, great advice, right? <laughs> well, I already know the future, so I'm like, don't do it. Don't yeah, do yeah. it. <laughs> Now, the other question is, um, my sponsor's motto is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother, meaning at some point in our lives, we've all had somebody carry us in a time of need. Who's carried you, Tanya? Oh, so many people. I think the biggest person who's carried me is a friend of mine named Michelle Etlin. Um, Michelle, I call her, she's kind of like a Buddha, a living Buddha on earth. And I'm one of hundreds of people that she's carried. But when I lost custody of my, uh, then they were three and six year old sons. She was this person who came to me and educated me about the history of women and children as property and helped me to not feel like it was my fault or it was something that I'd done. And then she actually trained and educated me in how to represent myself in court and help other women who were similarly situated. And she just held my hand. I mean, I was in court on and off for 28 years. Uh, yeah. And she was there with me, uh, writing papers with me, showing up in court with me, serving judges on the bench. Um, I, I, I don't know that I could, would be here on the earth if I hadn't had her carrying me through it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I know all of our stories are unique and we've all been there with some facet in our lives where we've needed a little bit of extra support. So thank you for being so open. And Tanya, I also want to say thank you so much for joining me today. You've been such a positive role model. The world could use more Tanyas. I'll be tuning into your podcast and checking out Red Pill, and I can hardly wait to see what's the next for you. So I'm wishing you continued success. Stay well. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Blessings. I can't wait to see your film wherever it is, when it's on all the platforms too. Oh.
Fingers Stick crossed. Agreement that it's happening. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Real Conversations is proud to announce our partnership with Lane Frost Brand. We'll be doing a monthly giveaway of a different item each and every month. So be sure to enter. All you have to do is follow at Real Conversations with Jacob on Instagram, tag two friends, and be sure to download the latest episode of my podcast. And in the meantime, make sure you check out all the amazing merchandise for the whole family at lanefrost.com. That's about all the time that we have for today, but Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the mental health podcast, is sponsored by Boys Town. And at Boys Town, their slogan is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And for over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children, healing families, and they're only one call away. They're always there to help, so please go to boystown.org for all the details on how to access Boys Town's health services, or just simply go to yourlifeyourvoice.org. If you're in crisis or need immediate help, please call the trained counselors at the Boys Town National Hotline. Again, 800-448-3000. Or text VOICE to 20121. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Until next time, love yourself. Love each other.